So we're turning over. <laughs> we're turning over to Romans chapter 28, uh, 28, or I'm sorry, Romans 8, because there is no Romans 28. Romans 8, 28 through 30. Okay, as you're turning there, I just want to remind you uh, or tell you in two weeks, uh, we're going to be in Colossians. We're going to be doing a book study, preparing us, getting us ready for Easter. So if you'd like to read ahead, go ahead, start reading through Colossians. You might uh, enjoy what you find there and look forward to what you'll be hearing uh, later on here in just a couple of weeks. All right, so as you saw on the screen, we're into this new series. It's a mini-series called Hall of Fame Verses. Now, we're going to be coming back to this series in between uh, series throughout this year, maybe even next year, because we want to talk to you about these Hall of Fame Verses. Now, why are they Hall of Fame Verses? Why are we calling them this? Hall of Fame verses, and we're calling this because they're those verses that we go to, man. They're famous in our lives. We go to them all the time, and they always bless our souls, right? It's, it's those verses that are on mugs, that are on, on pillows, embroidered on, on the pillows, right? And by the way, in first service, I was thinking about this, like, have you, has your wife ever gotten onto you putting your head on pillows, right? You know, or what really happens, this catches me all the time, and I'll, I'll never forget it as long as I live. So I go to the restroom, I'm washing my hands, I'm being a good boy, being clean, and I go and there's the towel, and it's got the things embroidered on the towel. And I go to, to wipe my hands and dry my hands, and my wife's, what are you? my wife's like, what are you doing? You know, I'm drying my hands. That towel's not for you, that's for special people. The towel under the sink's for you, okay? Don't put your stinky hands on that towel, that's the nice towel. Anybody got an amen on that one? Anybody guilty of that one? Same thing. I, I, I'm greasy. I sweat. So there, there's certain pillows I can't put my head on. Don't put your head on that. <laughs> Life is good. Real moments. So we put these verses on our mugs. We put them on our pillows. We put them on a screensaver, on our t-shirts, on our bracelets. They're Hall of Fame verses because they encourage us. And listen, in this series, as we come back to it time and time again, we want to encourage you with these verses. But we also want to protect you as we look at these verses, because sometimes we're guilty of taking these verses out of context and trying to make them mean something that they were never intended to mean. We've lost a little bit of the authorial intent, so to speak. And so we want to protect you. And there are some of these verses that, listen, at times they can be controversial. And we want to, you know, we want to talk about them so that we know how to, to talk about them uh, in a loving, kind way with others who may disagree a little bit with us over these verses. And so we want to get all into these, these verses uh, throughout the year, maybe next year as we keep coming back in between the longer series that we have and just pick out these Hall of Fame verses. That's our goal. And so for this, Romans uh, chapter 8, verse 28, uh, that's our Hall of Fame verse, but really we need 29 and 30 to be able to, to really understand what verse 28 in context is talking about. So what I want to do today is I want to begin to talk about this initial promise in verse 28 that makes us that Hall of Fame verse, right? That drives us to it. So I'm going to talk about that initial promise here in verse 28, and then I want to talk about the promise maker, the promise maker behind verse 28. Because it's in knowing the promise maker that the promise of verse 28 has its efficacy, that it gives it depth and gives, gives it power and promise and a surety in our lives. So, for example, if you've ever been to Chicago or New York or a huge city, and you see these skyscrapers, man, that just reach to the height, right? They're just, just huge, right? Skyscrapers are scraping the sky. You never think about the base of those buildings that allows them to soar so high. Listen, some of these buildings, six stories deep, to be able to keep them strong and to keep them soaring high. 
And so listen, we need to know the promise keeper so that, so that our hopes and anticipation of the promises we receive from him, they can continue to soar high. They can continue to encourage us. I want to remind you that um, you're going to want to jump in and, and go to your small groups on this because there's a lot of application that's going to come out of this that I can't get to in the sermon. So make sure you get, get connected with a small group so that you can talk with it, get started back in the new year. And then next week, next week, we're going to talk about specifically who is this promise for? Who is this promise for? Who can claim this promise? And then we will look more in depth into the promise far beyond what we can get to today. So with that said, I want to give you a key statement, right? You can write this down, take a picture of it. It'll be on the screen. Um, I want to give you this key statement here, and it's going to sound kind of silly at first, but you'll see how it has a greater depth and meaning to it. So this Hall of Fame verse or verses, Romans 8, 28 through 30, is the perfect pillow for our souls. It's the perfect pillow for our souls. I, you know, when I started thinking about this, and, and there's a quote you'll see at the end, but when I started thinking about this, I was like, okay, is this illustration too cheesy? Is it too light to, to grab hold of the gravity of the power of this verse? And so I actually started studying, studying pillows, right? Having conversations about pillows. And they have like top 20, top 25 list of how great pillows are. And what I've come to find out, man, is pillow, pillows are really important, right? For your neck, for spinal aligning and all of this kind of stuff, right? It's, it's important so that you can rest well. I kid you not, when I was younger, when I was a teenager, early 20s, uh, my dad and, and, and uh, grandfather and some other people would talk about this idea of going to sleep and hurting yourself in your sleep, right? Waking up, being all stoved up and that kind of stuff. And I was like, that is ridiculous. You can't go to sleep and hurt yourself and wake up hurting. Oh, to be so young and ignorant. Because I got into my 30s and I found out that's absolutely true. I remember one time going to sleep on the couch and my head was really cocked over like this right here. And I woke up and I walked around like this all day. It's terrible. It's terrible. And now I can take a nap and I wake up and my shoulder hurts, right? Or my back is tight. It's crazy. It's crazy. Pillows are important. They're important for aligning our spines. This is fascinating. I had never heard this before until I started investigating pillows. There are people who take their pillow from home with them when they travel. <laughs> and some of you in here do that. Raise your hand if you take your pillow with you when you travel. I knew it. Man, I'm, I mean, it's like close to 50%. I never knew that. Never knew that. So interesting. But we do that. We take it with us because it aligns our spine. It helps us, right? It comforts us so we get good rest. As we take this verse, these verses, it aligns us with God's truth and with him who is truth. And as we take it with us, as we memorize this verse, as we take it with us, it allows us to rest peacefully in Jesus Christ. And so when I go to you and I say, listen, this hall of fame verse or verses is the perfect pillow for our souls. I mean it. I mean it. And we're going to talk more about that today. So let me read scripture here and then I'll pray and we'll really jump in, okay? So here we go. Here we go. And, and by the way, I mentioned this first service because somebody asked me about it recently. When I, when I first came, I was having you stand as we read the scripture. And I will return to doing that. But here's what I uh, began to see. So many of you are bringing your beautiful children into service and babies and different kind of things. And I would see you finally get them settled down from worship. And then I'd ask you to stand back up. And then the process would start all over again. So as a father of three, I have stopped doing that momentarily. And it will start again to honor God's word. It wasn't that I don't want to honor God's word. We, we honor his word with our hearts. It's just 
I want to love on you a little bit and be a little pastorly and not make you stand up again and have to start over with a little ones. Okay? So here we go. Let's read. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Father God, this was the reading of your word. Holy Spirit, speak through this broken vessel. Lord Jesus, do, uh, do what you did last service and do even more this service, God. Drive your word into our hearts, into our minds. And from that, let us sing. Let us say hallelujah and praise you, God, for your promises are good and you are true. Have your way with us, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So let's talk about this initial promise. Look at your text there, verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Look at the first three words there. And we know. Stop. To say you know something is powerful. Don't run past this. Paul is being corporate here. He's not only talking about what he knows, but he's talking about what we, a group, knows. You see, it's one thing to know something theoretically or conceptually. It's another thing to know it for sure. So for example, I can tell you when I was in my early 20s, uh, I knew theoretically and conceptually and, and, and in some ways experientially that this truth, that this truth, this knowing this truth, I, I knew it was true. It's in God's word. I know it's true. But now as I'm 40, I don't just know it theoretically or conceptually. I know it experientially. And there's are those of you out there that have gray hair. N nobody's more bald than I am. But those that have gray hair, you know it in a deeper way than I know it. You know it here. You know it here. And you know it experientially. You know these truths that we're about to talk about. How, how God works everything out to the good. Somehow, somewhat, you, you know that. You see, it matters to know something, not just think something. So, for example, we live in this age of viruses and, and lab tests and all of that. But listen, if you are struggling with some kind of disease or some kind of virus, right? You don't want just somebody to think something might work. Let me just mix some stuff together and let's give her a go. That's not how that works. You don't want that. You want lab trials. You want clinicals. You want to see how it happens, you know, how it works on somebody who's like six and who, somebody who's 60. You, you want to look at how, how does it work over here with someone who has this condition or that condition. You want to know something through trial, to know it experientially, not just conceptually. You want to know it. Paul here is saying, and we know the stuff that we're going to talk about. We know it. He says here, and I think he means we, not just in him personally and the people that is around him, but uh, Hebrew people, people of, of Israeli descent, they know it as a people. We know. So for example, Israel in the desert when they were wandering, Deuteronomy 8.16 says this, God who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you. Now watch, now watch, watch what happens to do you good in the end. See, Paul is saying, listen, I know. 
I know this is true, what I'm about to tell you. This all-star verse, this, this hall of fame verse, I know it's true. We know these people who are with me, we know it's true. And we as a people know this is true and we've seen it for millennia. Such a powerful truth to know God's promise. We need to know it. Not just conceptually, but experientially and even emphatically with our lives. We need to know this promise and this truth of God that is so encouraging to us. And so what is this truth that we know? Let's look at it again. Let's look at it again. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. All things work together for good. So let's look at this and let's start with this. All. All in the Greek here, uh, it's penta, and it means this, all. We run past it. We run, and listen, we're, we're going to do a lot of word study today, and it's not to try to like, make you think that I'm smart, right? But listen, sometimes there's a, there's a shade or there's a variation in meaning, and it can add, it can add truth, a, a color, a flavor, a lens for which you can see it through, and it's important today. And listen, when it says all, it means all. Not some, not a little bit, not most, but all. All things work together for good. Over in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, it's the same word there, panta, meaning all. And this is interesting. As missiologists have studied this, you know, they first considered this in, the, um, in terms of national borders, geography. Listen, we need, a, we need to get a witness according to Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Right? We need to go and make disciples in all nations, right? Baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So let's go to all countries. Let's go to all geographical borders. But as they begin to realize the heart and intent behind all people and everything that's happening, it's like, oh my goodness, this is way beyond just borders. This is way beyond geography. We need to go to, to every single ethnicity and every single language and dialect, all all is including this. No one can be left out. It's important when we talk about all because listen, everything, everything that is happening in your life, all of it, God is working ultimately to the good. All. Don't forget that because I'm telling you, I'm telling you to hold this promise true. There's going to be something happening in your life and you're going to be like, I can't count that. No, it's all. It's all. There's also here that it works together. The word, uh, the word for working together here is, is where we actually get the English word derived synergism or synergy. Working together. It's this idea of synergism, the working together of various elements to produce an effect greater than and often completely different from the sum of each element acting separately. Do you know what I love? And my wife can attest to this. I love salt. Isn't salt good? I mean, I love pepper too. I love pepper too. But I mean, I think of a potato because I'm, I'm hungry and lunch is coming up, right? I'm thinking a potato with lots of butter, pepper, and salt. It's good. But don't you think about this. Salt is made up of sodium and chlorine, right? And those are poison separately. But put them together. And it makes salt a good thing. I can't remember when I had to watch this, but I'm sure somebody made me watch it. 
You guys remember that movie, The Cutting Edge? It was a chick flick, so I totally had to watch this. I didn't pick that one out myself. But there's this female ice skater, and she's wonderful and beautiful, but she works uh, in the tandem skating, right, with other people, and they're wanting to win gold or win the competitions or whatever, but they can't find a, a guy that can work with her, right, who has the brutish uh, masculine qualities and strength that's needed to, uh, to not only do the skating, but to handle her, right, if we're honest, okay? And so they actually find a hockey player to be her partner. And I mean, these, things, these guys are yin and yang. They're opposites, right? They're they just completely different. But the two of them together make something beautiful. Make something beautiful. Even though it was a chick flick, it was a fun little movie. Made me think of that. Made me think of that movie. All things, synergy, work together. They may be bad independently, but together there's something good. And God causes us to work together now. Talking about that word good causes all things to work together for the good. Now, in, in the Greek language, there's at least two words that are normally translated good. One is agathos and the other is kalos. Agathos and kalos. Most commentators would tell you that kalos uh, has the idea of a more external beauty. You would say, my wife is kalos. She's beautiful. Are you hearing me? Brownie points. <laughs> You're callous no matter what. You're agathos too. You're all the good. (laughs) And every man thinks the same thing about his woman, just to help you out, guys. They they whispered to me as they walked in. I'm digging myself deeper, aren't I? I'll just quit. So callous, it has to do with beauty, external appearance. Whereas agathos has a more intrinsic, ethical virtue and quality to it. What Paul is talking about, the word that he used here is agathos in verse 28. There's things that will come into your life. There's situations that aren't going to look good on the outside necessarily. But as God works these things synergistically together, and I mean all of them, something beautiful, intrinsically, internally, deeper than the surface is happening. Something good is happening. Now listen, I I, I want to be clear. Again, it's not that each thing that comes into your life is good, and we have many blessings. But even the things that don't appear good, God, through that synergy as he works, makes them to be good. Think about the life of Joseph and some of the things that he received individually that weren't so good, and there's no way individually that you can make them good. So for example, Joseph was sold into slavery. That's huge family dysfunction. You know, I love my family. We're not the best family, but they've never tried to sell me into slavery. Never done that. Never done that. So they sold him to slavery. Then he was a slave in Potiphar's house, and then he was wrongly accused of rape. And you, that, you, there's no way you make that good. That's not a good experience coming into your life. So family dysfunction sold into slavery, and now as you're a slave, you get accused of, falsely accused, wrongly accused of rape and you're thrown into prison. Prison in Egypt as a slave who was said you tried to rape someone. Man, that's dark. Those are bad things. But yet God could take those bad things and synergistically they work together to become an agathos. 
to become a good thing so that he would rise to the second command in Egypt and save many lives. Ask yourself this question because remember Egyptians, they detested shepherds. How in this world could a shepherd come into Egypt and rise to second power and to save many people? How could that be possible? It can only be possible if God's behind it, working things, all things synergistically together to make the good and good at a deeper level when it doesn't necessarily look good out there on the surface, but he's working it intrinsically, morally, ethically, spiritually to the good. Only God can do that. Only God can do that. You've probably experienced this in your life. I want to take just a moment before I pivot and look at the promise maker. I want to take just a moment and I want to talk, about, talk to you about how some of these bad things that can happen to our lives, how they can be made to be good for the glory of God and our betterment. But let me go ahead and tell you this right up front. These are deep things and these are hard things for us to hear, some of them. But they are things we must wrestle down. And eventually we will determine that these are agathos, that these are good. Good for us and for the glory of God and good for others, good for humanity. So let's walk through just a few of these, just a few of these. And, and this is just me thinking. There's many more. But how can bad things be made good? Well, when we go through hard times, it matures us and it demonstrates the authenticity of our faith that brings glory to God. 1 Peter 1, 6-7 says this, In this, in this challenge, in this trial, you rejoice. Wow, Okay. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness or the authenticity of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Guys, we go through some stuff. And when we go through it, our, our faith is tested and its authenticity is proved genuine. And when we go through hard things and we have the joy of the Lord with us and, and faith in his promises, we make him beautiful and we bring him glory at his coming. It's a separation between us and others who do not have that hope. Hmm. Do you look at trials that way? Do you cling to the promises of God and in that joy you bring him glory? You worship him as you trust in him. A beautiful thing. James 1 through 2, 4 says it this, count it all joy. Here's that joy word again. Oh, that's how good it is. It, you can have joy in the midst of this, but count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and that steadfastness have, it, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete or mature. Lacking in nothing. And next week we'll get into this. I can't get into it right now. But talking about conforming to Christ. Being like him. Bringing him worship and helping others. Think about it this way. You guys with me? This, this one, I don't know. Man, there's, I have some favorites, but this may be one of my favorites. When we go through these hard things, and I mean hard things. It drives us to God and to a recognition of our dependence on him and to the fact that we are the created and he is the creator. Let me say it this way. 
We are never more human and creaturely before the Creator in moments of prayerful desperation. When things are good, we don't necessarily praise God or go to God. It's we're handling it. We're good. We're doing this, this thing. We got it. We're under, we've got it under control. But when we go to God in desperation, when things are out of our control, it is in that moment that he is on the throne that we say, you are creator God, and you have all the answers, and you have the truth, and you are the one who can work this out to Agathos, work this out to the good, and I am dependent on you, and I, and I love you, and I worship you, and I trust you, and I hang on to that promise. And in that moment... In that moment, God is where he rightfully should be, and we are where we, are, where we rightfully should be before him. Drives us to a dependence on God, and we see him for the beautiful creator God that he is. And all the thankfulness when he does pick us up, when he does pull us out, and we know only he can do it. Oh, do we praise him? Are we full of joy? And then we hold on that joy for the next promise, and we have joy in that, and the world sees that God is beautiful, and he is the creator God, and he is real. Do you see how it works together? But sometimes we got to be forced to our knees, to be put in our place, to be in the right position to be able to honor him as we should. It's not pleasant. It's hard. We got to wrestle with this stuff. But man, it's good. On the other side, on your maturity, it's good. And it can give you joy in all of your life. Because you know, you know that God is faithful. This also is another good one that also comes from this. You can comfort other people in their pain that you've gone through in Christ. I had a wonderful professor. His name was Dr. Ben Curtis at Belmont University. He was a spiritual formation and counseling pastor. Just awesome, awesome guy. And, uh, I'll have to tell you about some conversations we had. He really matured me a lot of things. But he said this to me one time in regards to counseling. Sometimes we people, right, as humans, sometimes we people need Jesus with skin on. Wow. That is deep stuff. It, it, it just doesn't sound deep, but that's deep stuff. See, if we've been through pain, we can minister to others who are going through pain. 2 Corinthians 1.4 says, God who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with a comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. I'll tell you just a short story, very personal story and I'm dear friends, and one of these guys are, are like a mentor to me. I'm going to give their, their, their names here. Um, first names only, Mike and, and, and Steve. Mike and Steve. So Mike, one day, he's in his home. They're about to start a Bible study in his home, and a book study, Bible study, and a book study. And so he goes to his neighbor Steve's house and knocks on the door, and he's thinking, man, there's no way. He, my friend and his wife, my neighbor and his wife, is going to come to this Bible study, but I'm going to, I'm going to do it. I've been praying. I'm going, to, I'm going to invite my neighbor. So he, he invites Steve, and out of all of his neighbor, Steve and his wife come to the Bible study. Uh, they end up um, rededicating their life to the Lord, getting serious about their faith. It's just this awesome story, right, uh, of how if you'll just ask, you'll be surprised what God will do sometimes. And so comes becomes part of that group, joins the church. I mean, it's just a beautiful story. Years go on, and Mike's daughter comes of age. She gets married, and uh, in her 20s, life is going well. And out of the blue, um, 
Mike's daughter, her husband brutally murders her. Just no reason. Just brutally murders her. I cannot imagine the pain of losing one of my children. And here at this time when he is probably looking forward to grandchildren and is so proud of his beautiful daughter, her sweet life and future is taken away from her. Incredible pain. The first person to Mike's house, Steve, didn't say anything. Just walked in and hugged him. He just broke down and cried. Steve was there for him to comfort him in Jesus. But as God orchestrated as that was, that's not the end of the story. Lord ministers to Mike, just a godly man, a great, he and Peg, just, I can't say enough good things about him. So that happens. The Lord ministers to his ministers to him, he recovers as much as you ever can and, and he finds joy and he trusts God. Can't articulate it, doesn't know how God's going to work this to the good, but, but believes it and goes forward and is an inspiration to so many people. So some years passed. Steve has a son about Mike's daughter's age. He's working somewhere um, out of state. Goes to bed one night. Just doesn't wake up. No drugs in his system. Nothing wrong, no, nothing going on. Doesn't wake up. Steve's destroyed, sitting on his couch. First person to his house who goes to the door that's just left open because obviously they're in pain and not even, not even thinking about shutting doors. Goes in, doesn't say a word. Hugs him, and they cry together. And Mike, like no one else other than God and Christ himself, understands the pain that Steve is going through and can say, God can get you through this. That is a beauty in suffering. So you can be with someone who's going through something because you've been through it and can honor God in it. And one day, I don't have all the answers, and one day, we'll know more fully what God was doing in it. But that's another way that God can make something horrible into something beautiful because we can comfort others with a peace that we've been given. I told you it's not easy, but it's good. If you've been through pain, if you've been through hurt, if you've been through hard stuff, to have that person who's been through it too, and they're okay now. And one day they'll be fully okay. Because man, when you talk about the promises of God, one day he'll see his daughter again. One day he'll see his son again. It's not over! Because our God keeps his promises. Which brings me to my last little point in this. You guys okay? You with me? It awakens in us the thirst for the eternal and the promises of God when we go through some suffering. We're okay with this world when everything's going right. But when, when things go wrong, we long for the return of Jesus. We have, a thirst, we have a thirst for the eternal and for the ultimate fulfilling of the promises of God, don't we? Because one day, you think Mike, you think Steve aren't looking forward to the day that they see their kids again? Oh, I promise you they are. When all is not right and well, oh, the thirst for the eternal and the longing for God to ultimately fulfill his promises, oh, how powerful are they then? I got to keep going. 
Jerry Bridges has a great quote from Trusting God Even When Life Hurts. He says this, that which distinguishes the suffering of believers from unbelievers is the confidence that our suffering is under the control of an all-powerful and all-loving God. Watch this. Our suffering, hear this, has meaning and purpose in God's eternal plan. You see that? You know, that, that, that's still hard. It is. But imagine if your suffering had no meaning and had no purpose. Where would you be in your hurt? We believe in God. We're going to get to why we need to know our promise maker because there's meaning and purpose in God's eternal plan. And he brings or allows to come into our lives only that which is for his glory in our good. We need to know that what we go through, it has meaning. It has purpose. And it will work out for the good. And how do we know this? How can we trust this? Because we can know the promise maker who makes those promises. We can, we can know him and that gives those promises depth. I want to give you two translations here. It's going to be pretty quick. I want to give you two translations. So in the ESV, Romans 8, 28 is translated this way. And we know that for those who love God, all things subject work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now watch the NIV. This is one of the few times I would favor this translation. And we know that in all things, all things God subject works for the good of those who love him and who've been called according to his purpose. Now the reason why I like this translation more than the others because things are inanimate. They can't, uh, they're incapable of causation to action. And if you read verses 29 and 30, which we're going to look at in just a second, you'll see that they both agree God is the active agent in all of this, our promise maker. But the NIV actually literally says it, and we know that in all things it is God who works. If you look at the rest of the verse here, or verses in 29 and 28, we'll transition here to the slide. Watch this. For those whom he foreknew, he also, who is he? God, predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Boy, we'll hit that next week. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he, God, predestined. He, God, also called. And those whom he called, he, God, also justified. And those whom he justified, being God, he also glorified. It is he, it is God who is the active agent. And it is God who works. And we need not to forget that. We need to know our great and awesome God so that we can trust his promises and he's good and true to bring them about. We need to know this acting agent God because God is good. Revelation 4, 8 says this, and the four living creatures, each of them with six wings are full of eyes all around and within and day and night they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come and will bring it all about. And when you say holy, you can say perfect. And when you say perfect, you can say good. God is good and he can't be any other. Psalm 104 and 5, and boy, we're about to worship him in just a minute. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. And his steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Our God is good. And he is the active agent in all of this. And not only is he good, he can't change. He is immutable. He is a God who is never changing. Hebrews 13, 8 says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That means he is good forever. All the time, God is good, and God is good all the time. 
James 1.17, fill this. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom, hear it, there is no variation or shadow due to change. There's no darkness, no evil, no ugliness within him, and it never changes. Not only is he good, but his goodness will never change. And not only will he never change, he will always be good, but he is also sovereign. Just want to point out two things here. And because he's sovereign, he knows all. He's omniscient and he is all powerful, omnipotent. So God is good, will never change. And he knows everything and he's all powerful to bring anything about, including the agathos, the good in our lives. Even when we can't understand how he could do it, he can do it because he is God. He is sovereign. He is all powerful, all knowing and unchangeable in his goodness, in his holiness. Sovereignty. To find the sovereignty in God is the biblical teaching that all things are under God's rule and control and that nothing happens without his direction or permission. God works not just some things, but all things according to the counsel of his will. His purposes are all inclusive and never thwarted. Nothing takes him by surprise. The sovereignty of God is not merely that God has the power and the right to govern all things, but that he does so always and without exception. In other words, God is not merely sovereign as your in principle, but God is sovereign de facto in practice. Therefore, God is good. He is holy all the time and all the time God is good. And he knows all. And he's all powerful and he's unchanging. He'll never change. And God is loving. And because we know that, that is the depth to our sky skyscraper so that our, our hopes and our dreams in God working all things out to the good can continue to soar because we have that depth in who the promise maker is. God is good and he'll bring it about. And now as we conclude we turn it back to the pillow and Spurgeon says this when you go through a trial when you go through a trial the sovereignty of God is the pillow upon which you lay your head. Mm. That will preach. We know the promise maker. And we can grab hold to this Hall of Fame verse with its promise. If you don't know him and you need to be encouraged, Tammy and I will be in the back. We'd love to, love to pray with you, pray for you during this time. But for those of you who are uh, with the promise maker and you're just blown away, we want to worship him in communion. Listen to me. Listen to me. Go ahead. Get it out. Get it out. Listen to me, but go ahead and get it out. God took the ultimate bad stuff and his son, Jesus Christ, being crucified and killed on that cross to bring about the ultimate good, that agathos, and providing salvation for us. You ever thought about it that way? When we're sitting here and talking about Romans 8, 28, through 30. That Christ, you want to talk about being in that right relationship with the Father and Christ making himself our perfect example and him in the Garden of Gethsemane praying to God. There was hurt. There was consternation. Sweat like blood. It was a difficult time. The ultimate bad. And yet God made it beautiful. For us and to his glory. So 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six says this, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so I invite you to take the bread and consider with gratitude in your heart, with thankfulness in your heart, 
the punishment, the bad that he took, that God would work to the good. Take that bread in thanksgiving. just a moment I'm going to pray before we take the cup because again we remember what Christ has done but I'm going to read this again 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim, proclaim the Lord's death until he comes killed on the cross raised on the third day and coming back fulfilling all of his promises making all things new, restoring the relationship, redeeming the world, redeeming us completely. How incredible. But it cost Christ his perfect life to bring that to us. I'm going to pray for you in a moment of reflection. Thank God for what he has done and is doing and will do. We'll take it together then and we'll worship with everything that we've got. Father, Thank you for your ministry unto us that has brought us salvation. Lord, thank you for being the great promise maker and promise keeper. And we know that you will work all things out to the good in your perfect timing. For this, we ask for strength and trust and to bring you glory in it as we take your cup and proclaim your coming and your fulfilling of your promises again. Amen. Take the cup.